1: before we get into today's topic with today's guest, Mark Graham is here to join me to talk about CommonSkew University on January 15th from 845 to 1150 at the Mandalay Bay Convention Center in Ballroom L. On the second level, we will have CommonSkew University.
0: Mark, what is CommonSkew University? Why did you create it? What's its purpose? So we created CommonSkew University to give people a place where they could learn more about the application in a hands-on way at the expo we knew that people were hungry for information about common skew the application so we have created this environment where we go and talk about all the features that distributors use to run their business and we also give them a roadmap in terms of what's coming down the pipe and then we also have a session for suppliers because of course suppliers use common as well to engage with distributors and grow their business with the distributors on the platform as well, so we thought by creating this setting where distributors and suppliers could come together, peek under the hood inside the application and learn more about it was a really good use of people's time in the morning.
1: Let me break that down a little bit. The event kicks off at eight forty-five from nine o'clock to nine fifty. Ten ways suppliers grow sales on Q, a Presentation by you and Samantha Cates. At ten o'clock to ten fifty. Catherine Graham presents how CRM helps distributors ignite sales and retain customers. From 11 o'clock to 11.50, Catherine Graham and Aaron Kucharway will present hacks, new features, and the road ahead. So it's a quick, easy morning, and CommonSkew University is free to attend. You can register at commonskew.com slash university.
2: And I think the one piece of advice I could give to anybody is people have to be authentic in the content they're creating. A, a lot of people want to go and they're a distributor and they're putting a product on, on their Facebook page, but they're not giving any information about the product, it's just a product and a price. They're not telling a story, they're not, they're not showing their value, and they're not creating any driving factor towards working with them.
1: That's the voice of Ben Taylor, the chief marketing officer at Bam Bam's, who prior to joining his dad in the family business, served as the Director of Digital Media for Gallup Consulting, as well as many other roles in the digital marketing space. In today's episode, we sit down not only with Ben, but we're joined by Dan Taylor, co-founder, president, and CEO of BamBams. In 2012, Dan was honored as ASI Counselor's Supplier Entrepreneur of the Year, and we discussed with Dan and Ben a variety of topics about their growth, implementing a new ERP system, expanding their product line, and a forthcoming marketing resource center to help distributors market their business. The episode begins as Dan tells us how BamBams evolved, developing product after product by expanding their business to serve the sports marketing
3: world. We were built on uh, three pillars, first being our inflatable BamBams line, and then the second was our silicone wristband. And that came out of the Livestrong craze of 2004, 2005, and we set up our supply chain in China during that period. We launched our wristbands with this big splash. I don't know if you remember that time, Bobby, but it was an incredibly popular product we thought this was going to be the greatest thing and and in fact it, it turned out to be that we were flooded with more orders than we could process
1: nice
3: <laughs> <laughs> well it was nice until we had to start saying we're sorry right <laughs> and uh, so that was a that was a big learning experience bam bams went so smoothly the inflatable noisemaker line went so smoothly but the silicone wristbands really a challenging product line at first but quickly we uh, we got our supply chain in order by the summer of 2005 we were operating smoothly with that product line as as well. So that was our second pillar. First pillar being Bam Bam, second pillar being silicone wristbands. From there, we learned to source products and we set up our own operation in China. In fact, today, the guy who runs our China operation back then still works for us today. So He's been with us since 2003. He runs the order entry to our factory relationships, to our exporting and logistics. We started that operation in uh, uh, our own affiliated office in China in 2003. By the late, uh, we'll say 2008, 2009, we ended up incorporating in China and set up our own trading company with export rights to our product line. So our pillar number 3 was custom sourcing. And from there we were able to add and subtract products quickly. We uh, be, we became very nimble in how we added products and um, if products weren't working out, uh, had a bad factory or whatever the case may be, we were able to subtract the product quickly. And that was uh, that was how we grew.
1: As you were growing and going through your product selection process, did you decide you had a very loyal customer base with the bam bam's product you decided to get into the to the silicone bracelets did your current client base at that time drive your product selection? How did you know when, when to expand?
3: It was a good, that's a good question. Um, I don't think we had, in, in, in the Bam Bam's line, it was more sports marketing, and that was more demand, and the, the product itself was a more of a demand-driven product. So we added customers as a result of having a popular product that we could produce at an advantage over our competition. Uh, mm. Our competition uh, did some things a little differently than we did. We were able to package in pairs, produce at a lower cost. And so we just had some uh, unique advantages. What drove the silicone bracelet line was the fact that it was popular. We knew that we weren't going to be able to s- sustain um, long-term growth with a a fad, a fad product. And right. Bam's we knew, was going to mature. And so it was really just product-driven as opposed to customer-focused, customer-driven. Okay and okay. uh and we just needed to get our foothold in the industry so that that's what this made us uh decide on wristbands from there our product decision had happened to be more if we could produce it in small quantities quickly and package in pairs so we excuse me package uh, in a way that was a low cost air freight uh, opportunity for us then we would add a product. And so for the longest time, we were adding products that met that criteria. And that's how we grew from there.
1: I'm going to leapfrog a little bit to where we're at today because I'm leapfrogging not only over years, but I'm leapfrogging over so many more product decisions you've made and your apparel line. How do you get from bam-bams to silicone bracelets to apparel?
3: The apparel line came as a result of wanting to um, augment what we had going on in China. So we were, we were very well established as a sourcing company, an importer, just-in-time manufacturing. But we couldn't take care of our quick-turn needs uh, that have become, you know, the standard in our industry in an Amazon world. uh, Everybody expects the orders to be produced in a day or two and, and, and ship quickly. So we really couldn't do that. So a couple years ago, we added screen printing equipment. About the same time, our scarf and knitting business and some of our apparel Accessory business was growing. Uh, we wanted to be able to take care of our customers quickly, added some products that we were doing domestically, brought them in as inventory, and then with our the addition of the screen printing equipment, we were able to produce many of our products uh, much quicker for, uh, to take care of that quick demand um, requirement. Uh, and that's how we got into apparel. We wanted we wanted to fill up our presses, screen printing presses. And so right. we've, we've added some standard uh, kind of turnkey T-shirt product lines, as well as some apparel accessories that we can print in-house, produce quickly.
1: Going back to your business history, what were some of the most significant breakthroughs in your career? Are there high watermarks? Were there transformational moments as you look back on them and realize it was a significant shift, even if you didn't know it at the time? Or was there a time you thought you might lose the business?
3: Yeah, um, there were some some major shifts from the early days when we were just riding the wave of popular products. And then and that, everything seemed to be pretty easy. And I had mentioned in the previous question the the disaster that was looming with silicone wristbands, we didn't almost lose the business financially. I, we, we certainly took a big step back in credibility with our customers uh, by not being fully prepared. You know we didn't we didn't vet our supply chain properly let's put it that way so it taught us that we had to really vet the factories and make sure that they could handle uh the the demands that we would put on them uh, and so that was uh that was a major major watershed moment in two thousand five over the years we've had excellent growth some years more than others and uh, you, know, you always scratch your head what caused the fifteen to twenty to twenty five percent growth one year and then the next year if you're at five uh, percent or single digits, you wonder you know what did we do wrong? but we we always learned we have to, we're very honest at the end of the year, we assess where we put our effort and try to evaluate you know what we can do to optimize uh, for the next year. but I, I think over the years there's been obviously successes and failures. Um, sometimes i sometimes we have a tendency to add some what we think are new and uh, interesting, unique uh, products. Uh, For example, uh, we have people come to us regularly with their inventions or their ideas on the latest and greatest uh, game giveaway item. And and so we invest heavily and uh, we have invested heavily in uh, producing these these, uh, products and trying to get them into the marketplace only to find out that uh, the marketplace didn't accept them like uh, we thought they would. So we've become a little more cautious over the years, and um, now we're trying to uh, double down on the things that we do very, very well. For example, and uh, I'll just go on this a little bit. In our apparel line, uh, I failed to mention that uh, one of the driving forces was our scarf and beanie business. Since we were importing uh, from China and Turkey several million dollars a year in business, we thought uh, we should be able to take care of some of the quick demand low quantity orders that uh, that uh, our customers were asking for, so we invested also in the last six months in knitting machines so we can turn our um, some of the faster turn requirements and lower quantity requirements for knitted uh, scarves and beanies and uh, so that's been a major shift you
1: guys excel at custom sourcing you've you've done this for years and you have who knows how many projects you've produced at this point. We have a lot of creative distributors that listen to this podcast, and they do a lot of custom sourcing as well through suppliers. What advice do you have for distributors to sell and break through into more custom projects? And also, do you have advice on how to best work with you to develop the best type of custom project for your client?
3: We find uh, that the distributors who sell is a kind of the agency approach where they're providing uh, consultation for, um, for major projects, do the best with these large projects. So if they are just about selling products, uh, they're not going to break into some of these major, uh, projects, uh, that yeah. require custom sourcing. So, uh, right. we find that the creative people who, who have, uh, established, uh, talent within their environment where they can, uh, Help develop products, design products, think through the process. That they they're the best uh, distributors. So they need to shift their thinking and 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 going at with a team approach uh, to their client base. Uh, I would also say that they need to work with trusted suppliers and let the supplier be their partner. Um, yeah. You have to trust your partner um, that uh, you know your supplier that they're gonna. Uh, look out for the distributor, and that's been our approach. We we try to uh, provide a, a unified um, partnership with them, where we can uh, you know we'll help them with with some of the product design and and uh, presentations. Matter of fact, Ben could talk a little bit about this, and that's yeah. one of his strengths and how he he goes uh, and 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 he'll meet with uh, distributors and help them. Um, with presentations. Ben, you
2: want to talk about that a bit? For us as an organization, to echo on what what my dad said, it's really making sure that we've got a completely transparent relationship with our distributors and understanding their needs fully. There's there's agencies and distributors out there that have immense design capabilities, and there's, the, there's those that don't, but that are excellent consultative resources for their clients. When you're looking for a, a, a supplier partner to work on these projects, it, it, it's really important that we know what your skills and capabilities are and that we know that what you need from us. And so, as a supplier, we've tried to make sure that we ask the right questions, we're really relying on our account executives to understand the needs fully. And then, that's when we're able to be most effective. Uh, our marketing team here and design team is really strong. You know, We're able to, to create presentations from a photorealistic mock-up all the way through to to you to your marketing copy and, and then uh, you know we'll even white label uh, as your team and and go and pitch with you. Uh, you know it's difficult for for a distributor to be an expert on our product line or any larger supplier's product line. How can you know right. 600 700 1000 different products? That's our job as the supplier. We're the we're the supplier, we're the manufacturer, we're the importer. So utilize us. Make sure that that you get us involved you know whether it's a go to meeting a google hangout or if we need to to drive out or fly out to to work on a major pitch or presentation with you those are all on the cards and something that we do for the distributors that work best with us on a very regular basis.
1: Do you recall a recent project in which you helped a distributor land a deal with the customer in person?
2: Earlier this year, uh, one of our distributors, branding agency, Andy Harmatz out of Richmond, Virginia, he pitches every year a a big deal to to Geico. And there's the term of the pitch. There's hundreds of products that are pitched and then we we go and narrow it down. But uh, the team that led that uh, was myself, our director of sales, Zach Harvey, uh, and our creative director chelsea wazel, and we we worked completely with Andy on every step of the project, including developing and designing products that that we weren't going to create and manufacture with them because we mm-hmm. want to be their solutions partner. Um, wow. and uh, and that really goes a long way it's it, it, with our relationship with with the branding agency, with our relationship with their end user with their client uh a, ma- a major major client um they're developing you know uh, pga tour programs for them uh, ncaa football programs for them nascar programs for them and so we developed 30 different product product design all the way from from product design through packaging delivery and distribution uh, solutions for them we went to the company's headquarters in uh, bethesda maryland and pitched really for andy i mean andy led that pitch but uh we were the product experts for him and the design experts for him, the importing and logistics experts for him. As members of his team, it resulted in uh, both of us getting to win some opportunity for that.
1: Was there any confusion in the in the customer's mind over who did what? Was any of that murky, or was just a very smooth process?
2: It was a really smooth process because we were just completely frank with the customer and, and openly and yeah. open and honest with them. You know, the customer has had a relationship with a branding agency for probably twenty years. And right. us, they understand their process because sure. because Andy does a really good job at uh, explaining how these things work to his clients. And then when we show up there, you know, Andy introduces us as this is our our team from BamBams. They are they are our creative uh, manufacturing arm. This is what they're here to talk to you about and here to do. Yeah. And uh, I like that, and it works because you know there, there's no there's no hesitancy of of, uh, of the client trying to call us directly uh, right. to, to source it. We are, we are their trusted partner, their trusted source.
3: Yeah.
1: Ben, while we're talking still, tell me about the most significant project that you worked on this year.
2: Let me, let me
3: just jump in on this one. I,
1: yeah, yeah. go ahead. Uh, Dan. Yeah,
3: this is Dan. And we had, uh, you know, we've had some, some very significant ones. And in the last year, there was a a large grocery chain who wanted to produce a, a custom gift bag for, uh, uh using certified organic cotton, And they wanted a million pieces produced by a certain date. So we had to take that from A to Z, certifying the source of the cotton, manufacturing, uh, it's like a gift card bag. So it was very small, uh, a small bag, Um, produce it and export it and ship it and get it to to the distribution center in time. Uh, And that was a significant order. And oftentimes our orders have to do with major sporting events. And uh, and in this past year, we've had uh, Situation where we've done uh, orders where we've done one hundred thousand pieces of uh, of cinch bags for, for example, the final four in March, and you know, both for the women's and men's side. a lot of variables go into that. But those are a couple of good examples of of large projects where we've uh, you know we've helped walked alongside the the distributor and helping them yeah. uh, secure the business.
1: High pressure projects, too, right? Absolutely. Ben and Dan, my favorite Bam, bams story. Is when you, and I know you, I've told you this so many times, but some of our listeners may not know about this story. And it's an old story, but it's when there was a, there was a problem with a project and you made it right. You actually trucked the product down yourselves to a game. There was a mistake and you basically turned in, and you videoed all of this and turned it into an interesting little marketing piece. Can you tell that story?
3: Sure. It was uh, Ben's y- younger brother, Brock, who also works for our company. He, we were involved in this uh large order for a NFL game. It shipped in plenty of time, but as sometimes happens, it got stuck in customs in Long Beach, California. And it had to be in Houston, Texas uh, uh, for a Sunday uh, football game. And the previous uh, week and a half, it had already arrived at Long Beach and uh, we, we just couldn't get access to it. They were doing a scan and so we just kept pushing and pushing and pushing, realized by Wednesday prior to the game that this is going to be very difficult to make happen, so we flew uh two guys out, uh Brock and a, another guy who works for our company uh they got there on a Friday, rented a truck, waited, camped outside uh customs, and kept putting pressure on on the people there to uh to clear it at the last minute Saturday evening, it was released, and I'm thinking it was about uh 7 to 8 p.m. They loaded up the truck.
1: The game was on a Sunday?
3: Yes. Let me let me back up. It was actually Friday evening that it got cleared. Okay. And so we knew we had, it, it was literally a 24-hour straight uh, drive between <laughs> California and Houston uh, along the southern border. And these guys loaded it up uh, Friday evening and got to Houston. Uh, I think it was like 9 p.m., uh, uh, Saturday evening, unloaded it. No one was at the loading dock, and they just dropped it off at the loading dock. Called the distributor, say it's there. Told them that it was there. Uh, the distributor was elated and gave them tickets <laughs> to the next day's game, uh, and uh, a big win. Uh, they were able to videotape, as you mentioned, the process across country. Yeah. They made the best of it, and uh, it was our commitment to uh, the distributor that we're going to do whatever it takes to uh, deliver on time. But that was uh, that was a fun. Uh, experience. I, w- I wouldn't want to do it again, uh, but uh, after it was delivered, we got a, We got a lot of laughs out of it.
1: You recently implemented a new ERP. Can you tell us about that experience?
3: We've been operating on ASI Computer uh, System uh, ProfitMaker since the beginning. I've been wanting to switch over to an integrated ERP system. The past few years, we've had many setbacks, worked with some partners, and uh, it just didn't work out. Uh, finally, we settled on Oracle NetSuite uh, earlier this year and uh, have been uh, fully committed to uh, to implement that. It's it's not active yet. Uh, we are still in the development process, but uh, kind of deep in that development process. It's been an arduous effort, uh, but necessary for our future. Uh, historically, uh, the easiest approach when you're working with an antiquated accounting system or order entry system it has been to throw people at problems. And so right. when we have uh, our uh, import system is, is heavily relied on on people uh, all along the, the continuum from the point of getting the order to delivering it. And that's good. And, you, you know, as long as you can count on the people you have, it's it's good. But it gets to be very expensive. And so we're trying to, uh, as we scale our business and uh, continue to grow, we, we need to do it uh, with fewer human resources, more technology. And that's all right. driven by the need to be, to, to be highly profitable and have significant earnings. So we're deep in that process. We hope to implement uh, our NetSuite ERP no later than March 1st, and uh, hopefully we can stay on track for that. Uh, but uh, we still have several steps uh, to go in that process.
1: What did you think it was going to be like and what is it really like going through that process?
3: I tend to look at what my vision of it is, which is uh, this is going to help our business mine data, you know, quantify our decisions. And but what, what I'm realizing is that it takes a lot of thinking and planning and, and evaluating of your business and business processes, especially when you've done business the same way for uh, 15 plus years and you're trying to go to, a, to do it even better it really makes you think about every step of the way so that takes a lot of time it, while you're still trying to run your business and so uh, you know, the biggest challenge is time management getting the uh, get doing this the right way so you get the right results once it's fully implemented so you have to you have to invest the extra hours necessary to do it right and build it out so it uh, gives us the, the
2: data that we're looking for I think what a lot of people think when they when they develop Uh, or when they're bringing in a a very advanced technology platform that's going to help them operate their business all the way across the board you know, from customer resource management to order entry to finances and everything, that it's really going to be a complete turnkey solution. But when you're implementing a system as a supplier with a unique supply chain like us, we're really evaluating the complete architecture of our business and essentially trying to rewrite that architecture to make Mm -hmm. us the most functional and profitable for the future. So when we're doing that, when, when, when my dad's talking about that time, I mean, that's a lot of the conversations that we're having. It's, is this really the best way to do it? What happens if we change it? Is it going to affect jobs? Is it going to affect our supply chain? Is it going to affect our prices? It is a domino effect in a, in a with a crazy amount of variables. You don't learn that in the sales process. But right. for, for us, what it's really going to allow us to do, and the, one of the major benefits outside of... And you know, in, in helping us in, uh, increase our earnings and profitability and be a stronger company is it's going to allow us to react faster for our distributors. It's going to, we're going to be able to get information for them faster. We're going to be able to get things to market to them more efficiently. We'll be able to market for them more efficiently because we're going to have more data on their requests and what they need. And so it's it's really going to be a major impact for our business, and we're really stinking excited about it.
1: How have you integrated this within your team? Did you did you have like a SWAT team that's responsible for this initiative? What did the organizational structure look like as you're moving forward? Is there are there key people involved in this, and how has that worked?
3: Great question. We have our kind of the uh, the A team, four of us sort of taking the lead, and then with Ben's experience from Netsuite, he uh, he. He can help uh, on the consulting side. In addition, we've hired an outside consultant to help us do some of the things that we can't do. So we have a, a NetSuite company who's who's taken us through the whole process, but we hired an outside resource to help us internally, who's very familiar with NetSuite, and that person can has been helping us mine data, import it into NetSuite, and then the kind of the A team inside. We'll have different aspects of it from the order entry side of things to the operational side of things to the finance side of things. And I've taken on the role as as project uh, manager.
1: Let's switch gears a little bit. I'm curious about your quick turn apparel business. What made you decide to get into the quick turn apparel business? Was this a highly contested venture inside? Did you guys wrangle with this? How did you know it was time to expand? My
3: initial response is I must have been nuts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's tons of competition. It was driven by the success we had with uh, our knitwear business. We've grown quickly, and that's our, our number one product line right now. And so that's grown so quickly, we thought, well, let's, uh, let's expand on this. Let's, uh, let's add to it. And, uh, uh, and we also wanted to be able to produce quickly. As I mentioned, uh, we brought in screen printing first, and then secondly, we brought in knitting machines. And so the screen printing side of things it has enabled us to do turnkey apparel um, and some apparel accessories. Apparel accessories had been growing uh, for us, but we had not done any T-shirts. And so that's, that add-on um, is obviously much more competitive. And so uh, that's why I said I must have been nuts. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, we get that in, in, in uh, sometimes in waves, that type of business in waves and, and some larger projects. And it, I, we thought it was, uh, was a nice addition. Think about the game day giveaway market that we're heavily involved in. Uh, everybody hands out t-shirts at games and you can see right. a stadium filled with, with their color. And, uh, so that was part of the decision-making uh, of adding apparel. Knitwear was easier because we already, uh, producing, uh, few million dollars of business in Turkey and China. And we thought we could uh, uh, produce smaller runs, 25 pieces, 50 pieces, yeah. 100 pieces uh, in a few days. We quickly filled up those machines in the, in the first six months. And now we're uh, considering adding additional equipment and we want to be the leader in knitwear. So that's sort of the, the thought process. Ben might be able to add on to that a little bit uh, because he's been heavily involved in the Development of our apparel line. Yeah, yeah it,
2: it, it definitely was contested. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, and I, I'm not going to air our dirty laundry by any means, but when we started moving in this direction, it, I, I definitely put a, a significant amount of stress on uh, on my dad and uh, and Ben Chazen and uh, who's our, our, our business development officer, as well as some others around the organization, because I kind of walked in the door here to Bam Bams, and as I tend to do, kind of create chaos sometimes <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> You always know that apparel is is, is is the leader in the industry as far as overall volume. It runs it runs promo, but we, you know where were we missing out? And my dad has is, from his you know strategic you know vision of the business is, is being able to expand by growing that quick term production. And we really did a good job at at understanding what our distributors needed for the quick term production on the apparel side of things. We haven't right. captured a, t- a ton of market share on the printed you know T shirts uh, or. Anything like that, but what we'll, we've done an excellent job at is the design side of it and being able to mm. produce fantastic designs and re- with a really nice printing process. We're no t-shirt tycoon. I love those guys. You know, we're we don't have all the add-ons and accessories, but we don't aim to be. You know, right. we want to we want to play within our space. And what Apparel did for Bam Bams is really made us look at our product line, and how we are going to prepare to move forward. It, it drove us into decreasing our product line and, and really getting back to focusing on what we're the best at and uh, and keeping our driving focus there moving forward.
1: It's such a competitive space. I, I know it's, it's a significant amount of sales volume. Uh, has it been as profitable as you speculated so far?
3: The, the jury's still out on that. In the knitwear space, knitwear product line, yes. The T-shirts, it's... Not as profitable as I would like.
1: Ben Tell us about the marketing resource center you're launching for distributors. What is that exactly and how can distributors take use of that so they can sell more to their clients?
2: This is a project that I'm I'm particularly excited about. With the launch of the new website, and I don't have an exact date on that yet, it will be before before March is is our goal. We're launching a resource center. And the resource center is, think of it as an an education in online marketing. And there's a lot of other great resources for that. You've got Content Marketing Institute, HubSpot, Moz, and et cetera, et cetera but none of them are really focused towards the promotional products industry. It is of my opinion that the majority of our industry is technologically out of date. And uh, because of my background, I aim to be able to give our distributors a resource for education in search engine optimization, uh, PPC, conversion rate optimization, landing page optimization, landing page creation, content marketing, and how to understand the, the analytics of it to make good decisions for online lead generation. Some of our better distributors, they have strong online businesses and they're driving a, a lot of business through through organic search and paid search and social media and content. That happens to be my area of expertise. We'd like to help educate the rest of the, of the industry on that that's our goal.
1: That's fantastic. Ben, on that topic, and this is a very broad question, so I'm aware it's incredibly broad. As you evaluate distributors and given your background, and if you want to expand on that so that our audience will understand when we say your background, um, they'll, they'll understand a little bit more what we're talking about. What advice do you have for distributors who are trying to market their business online?
2: My background comes from, I, I started in, in in web development and organic search and learning that process a long time ago, really when, when Google was in its infancy. And I, that, that evolved to, to working for different agencies, starting my own consultancy and working for some of the better agencies in the country as their, uh, as their head of digital media head of, head of organic search I' worked as head of uh, paid search and, and earned media uh, for some major agencies across the United States and, and really developed myself as an authority on it, speaking on it, writing on it, presenting on it and educating on it even at the collegiate level when it came time for me to kind of leave that space and, and join Bam Bam's, it was really a culture shock because I went from a marketing world where uh, everybody was very technologically advanced to a marketing world where we weren't. I started paying close attention to certain distributors, developing friendships, and, and looking at what they were doing. And I think the one piece of advice I could give to anybody is going to go back to one of Bam Bam's driving methods is really people have to be authentic in the content they're creating. A, a lot of people want to go and they're a distributor and they're putting a, a product on, on their Facebook page, but they're not given any information about the product, it's just a product right. and a price.
1: Yeah, they're not being helpful. Exactly.
2: exactly. They're, they're not telling a story. They're not, they're not showing their value and they're not creating right. any driving factor towards working with them. And, and so really they just need to educate themselves. Uh, you know, that's, that's the one part that I think a lot, a lot of people in our industry are missing. And there's so many fantastic resources, like I had mentioned before, and Bam Bam's aims to be, the leading one from the supplier side in our industry, utilize HubSpot, utilize Moz, utilize Content Marketing Institute, Content Marketing Masters. There's there's so many valuable resources that our distributors can, can go look at, read, and begin to implement, and I think that's yeah. the biggest missing factor. It's not one thing or another. It's the it's the lack of uh, of, of education around it.
1: Making an investment, making it important is what you're suggesting. Yeah. I think here too. You know, the Forrester research study that that said a million B two B salespeople will be out of work by 2020. They're still going to require content and information to transform and change buyers' minds or to help guide buyers toward uh, wise purchasing decisions. The shift I see happening is that you see an uh, outmoded industry shifting from primarily salespeople-driven model to a web-based model that works in tandem with consultative salespeople, which requires an investment in uh, information and education.
2: It most certainly does. I really think you hit it on the head. There
1: There are a lot of second-generation and family businesses in this industry. Do you have advice? Ben, you're working with dad. Dad, you're working with, Son, do you have advice for distributors, suppliers who are working in family-run businesses?
3: My other son, Brock, uh, has worked for me since 2008 and been uh, most recently for a little over a year, year and a half. I think the first thing is you have to be able to get along. Um, you have to enjoy each other. And we're just fortunate that we do. As Not all families have that privilege. and you know, I've been blessed to have sons that, that enjoy each other and enjoy being with dad. And, and so being at the office, it's not perfect. It's certainly a very, very good. And it's a privilege uh, to work with these young guys. Uh, they bring so much to the business. Uh, they're, they're cutting edge in so many ways. And, and uh, I can bring some wisdom from experience. And together we make a, a real good team. But it's been a uh, I, I think it's much more difficult if there's internal conflicts that haven't been resolved, and we're just in a good place as a family it's uh, mm-hmm. It's a, a real blessing as a as a family to be able to say that uh, that uh, we yeah. enjoy being with each other and as a result when we're here it's it's just that much better. I think if you don't have that uh, it, it can make everybody around you uncomfortable. And uh, right. if they see interpersonal turmoil, uh, they, don't, they may not know how to react. But uh, it seems to be that we're all just part of one big team, whether your last name is Taylor or Sejia or whatever it may be. We get along well as a, as a company. And my children uh, fit in just as, as part of the, the, the overall uh, culture. So it's been, it's, been, it's been fantastic for me.
1: Did you learn more about your sons working with them?
3: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You realize that they're smart and educated before they work for me. What I see is their talents uh, coming out, their, their their natural abilities coming out, the, the things that they work to develop. And in Ben's case, you can see his uh, the background that he he experienced and learned over the last ten plus years in digital marketing is now he's now able to implement that on in our business. So I you know I didn't know everything he knew. Now I'm just starting to see that I really know. Even less about it, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and so he's, he, it's been a it's been a, a fascinating uh, discovery. And then uh, for my son Brock, uh, I've worked with him since he got out of college, uh, and and I can I've seen his growth and his wisdom and his uh, his cautious approach and his attention to detail. So I those are things that I've learned uh, really since they've uh, come to work for me.
1: Ben, how about you? What's what's it been like working in a family business?
2: It's been wonderful, actually. You know, I've I've had amazing opportunity in my previous career to work for top rated CEOs and work for, you know, and work with other extremely bright people, which is, which has been wonderful. And I, uh, to be honest, and this is something I always thought, I always thought I'd be bored working here, (laughs) but I, and I, and and I I really did. I, I, I I truly believed that.
1: By the way, that's a common theme. You'll hear most second generations say that about parents' (laughs) business.
2: And then I got here. And I fell in love with it, and now i'm more excited about this than I am anything and uh, yeah. you know it, and it's not I, I'm, I'm sure part of it has to do that it is a, a a you know a a major part of our family being as that it it is you know something that my dad has worked so hard to create and build over the years. I think part of this is this industry is just a ton of fun <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah. it really has a lot to offer and one of the coolest things i i've I've learned while being here is as and the opportunity to, to work with my brother. He's my younger brother growing up, and I've seen him take on and learn other things, but I really never, I never pegged him as having much of an entrepreneurial spirit, and he does, and, and that's been really cool to watch and work with him, and he and I work really well together. I think fast and act fast and, and more of a, a proactive decision maker, and my brother's very pragmatic and thought out and, uh, and, and a lot slower moving than I am, so we balance each other really well. But yeah. my point about being able to work for some of the the better leaders in in the marketing world in the digital marketing world is I've just been truly inspired by how much wisdom and experience that my dad brings to the table as a leader and how much I've learned from him and learned about leadership and what that makes me think about when I talk to somebody on my team on a daily basis like how would yeah. how would my dad handle that i don't have to handle it the same way that he would handle it, but let me impart on some of that leadership you know and then really being able to walk down to his office and have any conversation that needs to be had is amazing. And that, that is not an opportunity you get working with, uh, outside organizations, organizations outside the right. family on a very regular basis.
1: Ben, what brands or business do each of you follow outside the industry that you respect?
2: When we were discussing this before us, he, we have the same one that we want t- to talk about. One of them, uh, there's two that I would like to mention, but one is a, is a, men's apparel company called Gustin. They're Gustin jeans. Close family friend of ours founded them.
1: G- is that G-U-S-T-I-N?
2: G-U-S-T-I-N. Their website is weargustin.com And okay. uh, they are one of the better uh, denim uh, companies in the, in, the, in the world, in my opinion. But what they did that was so brilliant was they crowdsourced their jeans. So they they're they're building jeans that you'd walk into Nordstroms and spend, you know, $350 on, but you're able to buy them direct from the manufacturer through a crowdsourcing model. So they won't build a jean until the the entire process is funded. So they're not having to to spill out capital in product development. And so they've got a, you know, a super low overhead and the cash comes in before the product's developed and it's fulfilled, and uh, so it's really just a brilliant business model. And watching them grow has been awesome, and watching what they're continuing to do has been awesome. Um, and that is really—it's it, been inspiring from uh, you know all of us that have the, kind of that uh, that entrepreneurial bug, um, you know. Yeah. Create create I'm a new the, method.
1: I'm on their mobile site right now. I'm about to, I'm about to purchase the Japanese selvedge denim right now.
2: You buy those <laughs> Japanese selvedge, you, you should. There, a, a Dan wears them all the time. I wear them all the time. Brock, Zach Harvey, a bunch of people in our company wear them.
1: That'll be priority number one as soon as we're done here uh, hanging <laughs> out. Oh, what a cool brand.
2: And they're all, it's, it's all built in, uh, in San Francisco, so it's all made in the USA apparel. Fantastic. Which is, which is really cool. So that, yeah. that would be one brand. And another business that I pay a, a, a ton of attention to is a friend of mine an organization and Bobby you may have actually heard him speak and, and his name is Mike King he owns a, a digital marketing organization called iPullRank rank based out of New York City Mike's a keynote mm-hmm. he speaks all over the place and he and I have do, done a lot of work together over the years but what he's doing now is buying he's he's, he's been in a, a you know a lead generation company SEO PPC company for uh, some time but what he's doing now is he's buying defunct e-commerce businesses um that aren't that weren't doing that well and he's turning him around through solid content and uh and smart and mm. smart marketing he's doing unbelievable things with it if you haven't seen mike speak go watch him speak read his blogs he's uh he's captivating he he and i uh we used to do music together uh, he's been a mike's super successful was a su- super successful hip-hop artist that uh was attending school at howard in, in dc and that's when we met we got into organic search and paid search and web development at the same time and um, watching what he's doing now, buying these companies has been really cool.
1: He's at iPoolRank.com.
2: iPoolRank.com and at iPoolRank on Twitter.
1: Well, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to have you guys here with us. Really enjoyed talking with you and learning about
0: your story.
3: Thanks so much, Bobby. Appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity.
2: You bet. Yeah, Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Skewcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to Skewcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening.